Welcome to episode 339 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. God's got some 10 words for us. He does. Just one today, though, apparently. That's how you do it Apparently. In, a, in a series. Just to That's right. So we're still hanging out in the 10 words. We're about to get to the fifth commandment, which I was always taught to remember by looking at the numbers and trying to gain something pictorial from the numbers. So the number five, if you can conceive of this, kind of looks like a puppy dog with its ears folded back in submission. And so that's the cue for me to always remember Honor your father and mother as if here's a, a puppy honoring you or your commandments, the owner itself. So that's a little bit weird, but it is the way that I've always been taught to remember it. And all along, we've been saying that we're studying this because it's part of systematic theology. It's a really critical part, actually. And it's a reminder that humans were not created to be autonomous, that is, like to be a law in and of ourselves, but theonomous, subject to God's law. And this is not meant to be a hardship. It's God created man in such a way that we would have grateful obedience, and that would bring him and us the highest happiness. It's in some way bringing duty and delight together. And of course, where that was admired in the fall, we find it reunited in Christ, and then the Holy Spirit in us bringing that delight back. So that's just a weird setup to say, like, we're going to talk about what it means to honor father and mother, both in a narrow and a broad sense. And this should be a great delight. And I think there's going to be a lot of good conversation there. And I'm hoping just at the top to say that if you're listening to us and you've heard all this stuff before, and we're coming again to this idea of honoring father and mother, that you might use this as a foil for conversation with your loved ones in your family to process together with your spouses and your significant others to understand what this means, because I think this is a really heavy thing and it's really worth dialoguing about. But you know what else is worth dialoguing about is affirmations and affirmations. We decided there's no even need to deny against anything because God is so good. And so we just thought, let's do some affirmation. So what is your like affirmation A that you're going with? Well, I, I probably should have asked you about this because I think I'm about to embarrass you a little bit. Okay. So the listener, the, the, the astute listener may remember that we've mentioned a couple of times that Jesse has been studying for multiple years now for this large uh, industry kind of terminal degree kind of thing for his field. Uh, and uh, many members of the Reform Brotherhood have been praying for him. Yes. Jesse, congratulations. Jesse shared with us uh, in our family a little while ago that he passed his test, uh, which is, is I, I don't have a framework for how big of an accomplishment this is other than I've heard it compared to uh, a doctoral degree in, in a more academic um, sort of like academic setting. So Jesse, congratulations. I'm very proud of you. I know that you are, you are playing it low key and you're going to, you're going to try to be like, oh, shucks, it was nothing. (laughs) But uh, I've seen how hard you work. Uh, I've seen how hard you have worked at this. And I know that all of the glory goes to God, but it's also appropriate to, uh, to love on you a little bit. I can't believe I just said love on you. I don't know. (laughs) Congratulations. Uh, thank you to the listeners for praying for Jesse. Yes, thank um, you. It, it's it's a major accomplishment. So that's what I'm affirming. I'm affirming Jesse and how amazing. Thank he you, is. brother. 
Thank you, brother. Well, that's uh, as good a segue because my affirmation was not going to be exactly that, but <laughs> something alongside of that. And, and first it was to say thank you for so many people who have prayed for me. It's been a, a three-year journey for this. And I just want to say it was well beyond my means in every conceivable way. So God has been just so exceptionally good. And it's been a reminder that nobody achieves anything alone. And this is true like in the church as it is elsewhere, that we really do need one another. And I have so grateful, I have so much along the way needed everybody, including you, Tony, who's prayed and offered encouragement. So my affirmation was going to be in this idea that God is consistent in bringing about his foreordination in the little normative things. And that while there is responsibly for us, for in this case, to study and to work hard, that he did all the work. Does this make sense? Like, even though there was the working that I was doing, what I found was the working I was doing apart from the Holy Spirit would not have been effective. And so I'm so grateful. It feels to me still, I can't believe it's over and that God has granted success, but it was God that granted the success. Yeah. And I'm finding that there's hopefully for me a great testimony when I talk about this, that I'm talking about it in those terms. So Yes, loved ones. Thank you so much. People that like I don't even really know, especially who are in the Telegram chat, who have expressed that they were praying for me on that particular day. I cannot tell you how significant that was for me and how God answered your prayers in a way that I still feel is miraculous. So thank you. And we ought to do this for one another. So like, this is a good plug right now for people joining in the conversation, literally joining in the conversation. How do they do that with Telegram? And, and what is even Telegram? Yeah, Telegram is a, um, it's it's primarily like a, like a text messaging app. Most people use it on their phone. Um, it has grown and developed into a little bit more like a uh, messaging board service in some ways, sort of like Slack. So uh, you can join our Telegram channel or our Telegram group by going to the letter T, t.me slash reformed brotherhood. And um, once you do that, if you don't have Telegram installed, it'll take you to a link to install and set up an account. Uh, if you do have it installed, it should bring you straight into the group uh, and ask if you'd like to join. It's open membership. You don't have to answer any special questions or get approval or anything like that. Um, we have a couple different subgroups. We've kind of distilled it down to the most important ones. And one of the ones, and this is the one that I, I think is the most encouraging to me. I, I love talking about theology and I love sharing memes and stuff like that. But there's a prayer request group. And this is one of the only it's not really social media, but the only online groups that I've been a part of where I regularly see people praying for each other and then following up on those prayer requests. Certainly we are not trying to replace um, the fellowship of the local church, but for a lot of us who find ourselves in situations where our church is small or we are, some people are in a church where it's a, it's a good Bible church, but it, it's not a reformed congregation. Um, it, it can be very, very lonely at times. So it's a nice supplement to um, kind of your primary fellowship should always be with your local church. But there are going to be times in certain circumstances where you are sort of the odd man out in your local church and you do what you can and you, you participate faithfully. But sometimes you need somebody who's a little more like minded than maybe you find in your local church or maybe, you know, like we're the we're the youngest. We're the only young family. Um, we're, we're also the youngest couple. And, and the, most of the people in our congregation are at or past retirement age. 
Um, so we, we are a little bit of the odd man out in our congregation. So it's nice to have people in some instances where it's a little closer to your, your stage of life. Um, so all that said, t.me slash reform brotherhood. We'll pray for you. We'll tell funny jokes. We'll share funny memes. Uh, it's also, I think one of the most sort of chill, respectful groups. So I've had people, and this is not a slam on the reform pub. I'm a, I'm still a member. I, I'm, still friends with the admins. Um, but I've had people who've come in who were coming from the reform pub who basically said like, yeah, when I ask a question in the pub, I get flooded with a, a thousand answers that aren't helpful and people are sarcastic. And that's kind of the nature of a large Facebook group. The loudest, right. most obnoxious voices float to the top because of the way the algorithm works. But this is a very different experience. So if you're looking for a little bit of an oasis, a little bit more direct interaction, more real-time interaction, uh, we, we have got a place for you. So check it out, t.me slash reform brotherhood. And it's the kind of thing that you and I thought about in the beginning. We, maybe we dreamed about as a way of saying it better is that there would be more than just our voices, but there might be like-minded people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and are trying to follow after him closely in daily living. And this is just one way we can do that. And it's like, again, you can file this away if you want under what a time to be alive yeah. because the fact that we can share prayer requests, like there's nothing wrong, right? With sharing prayer requests among brothers and sisters who want to support one another even if you might never meet them this side of heaven. So yeah. I will say the concern for one another in there is like really strong. Like the game there is fire and people are legitimately interested and legitimately committed. So in, in my case, I know there are people in particular saying, what day was the test? Yeah. Because I want to make sure that I'm praying. And I'm so grateful for that. And we've had everything from people asking for prayer requests for their their own health, their loved ones, family relationships, anything and everything. And what a joy to be able to do that. Here's one other thing that I'm going to plug with respect to Telegram. If you follow the link that Tony just gave you, what you'll find actually is that you can kind of preview the group before you hit the button to say join. So you can just peek in if you want to. I mean, it's a yeah. little creepy, but you can just peek in if you want to and yeah. see what the conversation, if you're worried, like, well, I don't know, I want to be a part of this. That's okay. I hear you. I've yeah. been there too. And so you can just peek in and see what it's like. I think what you'll find is it's very different and very lovely and it's its own thing. It's a lot of fun and it's a, a lot of support and it's a lot of love for Jesus. Yeah. So just check it out. Yep. And the, I think the nicest thing about, so just like any large group, there's a handful of very active people and most people are observing or they only participate infrequently. The nice thing is that you can jump in in a conversation and uh, as much or as little as you want. Um, there, There's always good conversation happening. There, there are some people who will just jump in with a question once in a while that they encounter online they need some help with or they have a prayer request. And nobody looks sideways at that. Nobody's thinking, right. well, this person doesn't participate, so why are we going to spend time with that? It's it's a place for us to gather online that is uh, – I, like, I can't think of anything to say except that it's a safe place. It is a safe place, but not in the like weird snowflake way. Like It genuinely is – a safe place where people care and are kind and decent to each other, which it's not that there are no other places online that you, you can find that, or even that many of the places that people frequent like the reform pub, that there aren't, that that's not present in a certain sense, but this is the only place that I've been where just there isn't the vitriol that you usually see. And maybe it's cause we're still small. I don't know, but, uh, but check it out. If it's not for you, then, then it's not for you, but I, I think it's probably for you. So check it out. That, that should be the tagline, you know, <laughs> like or from brother telegram. It's probably for you. Mm -hmm. It's probably for you. I love yeah. that. It's real. It's really convincing in a kind of subtle welcoming way. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So let's elevate, or maybe it's about the same level. What's your affirmation B? So this, this is not so much an affirmation, I guess it's kind of like a follow-up on a whole series of affirmations. So a, a theme in our affirmations over the past, I don't know, six, 12 months has been this sort of like note-taking productivity journaling kick that I've been on. Um, and I've, I've started now to synthesize all of the different things I've learned in this process. And one of the things that I've started doing, and I'm just commending this to people's, uh, consideration. I used to read with the intention of reading a lot of things. And some of that is like a hangover from when I was in seminary, where it was like, you'd have four four 10 credit or 10 credit hour courses. And each of them were requiring you to read 20,000 pages over the course of a semester. So you're reading, you know, 80 to a hundred thousand pages worth of information, um, over the course of, you know, three or four months. So you just, you just cram as much reading in as you can. And one of the things I'm learning through this sort of note-taking journaling bullet journal process is it's great to read a lot. If that's what you want to do, then do that. And everybody, everybody has their way of cramming in a lot of reading. I'm learning to read slowly and deeply and make use of what I'm reading rather than just trying to cram more and more information in my head. So I picked this up and I've modified it a little bit, um, from Ryan holiday, who is the guy who does daily stoic. Um, And a lot of people online have sort of like commented on and made their own modifications to this note taking method, but it's, it's very straightforward. It doesn't slow down my reading in a pretty dramatic way. And I'm actually finding that I'm retaining the information a lot more. So the, the method basically is as you read through the book, have a pen in your hand. This might be a little bit hard for people. And this was a struggle for me. I don't like to write in my books or highlight in my books. It's not my natural mode of thinking. So what I was trying to do is like sit with a pen in my hand and write notes, like handwrite notes or type notes as I was reading. And that just got in the way. So what Ryan Holiday does and what a lot of people have picked up from him and what I've started doing is just very lightly annotating your your books, you know, maybe highlighting key phrases or words or whatever you're doing. Right. And then when you're finished with a segment of reading whatever that might be. Some people do this after every chapter. Some people do it after every book. Um, It probably isn't a one size fits all, even for a single person. If you're reading Institutes of the Christian Religion, it probably doesn't make sense for you to wait until you finish all 1400 pages of it or whatever it is, is when you're finished with that, you go through and you get a stack of note cards and you go through and you look at everything you've highlighted and you make a decision. Is this something that I highlighted that is important enough for me to remember that now I've highlighted it and now I'm going to handwrite it onto a note card. What this does is this is part of the building a second brain methodology. Um, Tiago Forte encourages you to do it digitally. I actually think doing this analog is better, but you, you basically, you highlight your highlights. So Tiago Forte encourages you, you make a highlight or you take a note, then you go through and you highlight your notes. And what it is, is progressive summarization or progressive distillation. So I've got all my highlights. Now I look and I decide, is this highlight something that is important enough for me to now handwrite into a note card, which then I file away for use later. The third step then, you've already now sort of embedded this in your brain in three different ways, right? You read it. 
you chose to highlight it, which meant you had to process where the beginning and the end of the highlight is. And now you've read it again and decided whether to put it on a note card. The next step then, which I haven't really started this in earnest, although it happens organically, is you start to use these note cards and the notes that you've accumulated, and you start to see connections between different um, notes that you've acquired on these note cards um, in ways that you probably wouldn't have before. So this is very similar to what happens in the smart notes methodology or the Zettelkasten methodology, where you've got these individual discrete notes and you start to see connections between them. So here's an example. I read an article in the Westminster Theological Journal that was talking about, um, was talking about natural law and what general equity is and all things surrounding kind of like the Christian nationalism theonomy debate that's going on. So talking about natural law, what, what the Westminster confession means when it says general equity and how all that works. Then I was reading in, uh, Corinthians, uh, first Corinthians, I believe I don't have the reference in front of me. I was reading in first Corinthians for my devotions. And I noticed that Paul makes a general equity argument when he, he points out that the law teaches us not to not to muzzle the ox when it treads the grain. Then he takes that principle and applies it to um, to the the pastor being paid, right? So you don't muzzle the ox. The principle is that the one who contributes the labor deserves to reap the benefit of the labor as well. So the the ox is doing the work of treading the grain, breaking up the husk. So you're not to prevent it from eating of that grain as it does its work. Just like a pastor is is doing the work and deserves to be paid out of that labor. That's a general equity argument. I would not have made that connection had I not read this article. And if I hadn't highlighted certain phrases, I probably would not have made the connection I did. So as you do this, it's embedding the knowledge in your head in a way that's going to promote recall, but it's also causing you to now develop this sort of like portfolio of notes. So it takes a lot more time. <laughs> it's going to slow you down. Uh, but that that's, that's what I'm talking about. For me, it's no longer about reading a lot over a course of time, like reading a ton of words, but remembering very few of them. It's about taking the time to read through something. And maybe you read something and there's no highlights. Like it's there, nothing stands out to you as worth, worth this process. Or maybe you take a bunch of highlights and then when you go through it, nothing is worth putting it onto note cards. But the process of doing this, you're gonna recall better. You now can make use of this. Um, I'm planning on implementing a third step where I now transcribe these into either Obsidian or Notion. I haven't settled on which note-taking platform I'm going to use, but make them digital now so that I can utilize them with some of the cross-linking and referencing stuff that's available there. So everybody's going to have to modify this. It's going to have to work for you the way that it works for you. For me, a note, note cards work great. I, I bring the note card and whatever book I'm working on taking highlights out of with me when I go to work and I have a task in my task management stuff that is transcribe one highlight to note card. So I'm doing it slowly over time, but I'm already seeing my brain start to catalog this information and make cross references organically in ways that just wasn't really the way it was before when I was reading. So it, this might not be for everybody. Some people just want to read and don't want to take notes and that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're wanting to sort of take your recall to the next level, this is a way to do it. That's fantastic. I mean, we've talked a lot about in our conversations, just the joy of being able to read and to learn. And I would call this adventures and being fearfully, wonderfully made. Yeah. It's a joy to learn. And God has made us in such a way 
that we might consume information. And to your point, I think the mature reader at some point comes to this crossroad. And the crossroad is, am I reading just to consume for the sake of saying I've read and accomplished something? Or am I reading to really metabolize and to internalize and then to apply? But to do those three things, you have to remember it. And it has to be meaningful to you. And you have to have a recall of that information. So yeah. whatever method you use, I think it's, it's it's worth exploring methods. That was particularly helpful to me as I was studying. There are things like I use like memory palace techniques where it's still, it's, there are some things I wish I could forget, honestly, but now are embedded in my mind because of the method. And I found this so lovely and useful because it wasn't just about trying to signal or self-aggrandize in knowledge. It was about saying some things are worth learning because they're worth applying. And I want to I wanna personally take information from what I'm learning and transform it into wisdom that is used in daily living, yeah. which brings us right back to theological matters, for instance, and the scripture itself. So I love this. I also want to give you kudos just for the way in which you've been consistent with your, your bullet journaling. This is not my affirmation, but I'm just going to slip it in, like tuck <laughs> it in here because I'm a little bit parsimonious. And that is I recently discovered what I'm really enjoying. Uh, maybe you know about this. It's not like a big deal, but it's I love the small things. It's this brand on Amazon called Arteza, A-R-T-E-C-A. Yeah, and they make these like lovely Moleskine-esque like sketchbooks of various kinds for like a fraction of the price and they're really high quality. So like the one I have is I got a pack of two, three and a half by five and a half inches, 88 pages, 118 pound paper. That is good paper, loved ones. Bookmark, ribbon, elastic strap, the whole deal. $20 for two of those bad boys. Like Moleskine, you'd have to take out some kind of loan to get both (laughs) of those at that price. So Arteza, check it out. Again, if you're hearing Tony talk, you say, you know what? I want to get some more resources. I want to put pen to paper. And I want to really dive into that. Whatever it is, it's worth understanding because God has made us in this remarkably, fearfully, wonderfully way. And the mind is just a glorious frontier and being able to use it to learn new things and to bring those things into your life for your sake, for your good and for worship and with others is like an amazing thing. So I'm, I'm with you. You're, you're all in. And I appreciate that. Like you're consistently using this stuff. And I love that. Well, and, and I don't want to be like, I don't know. Melodramatic, I guess, might be sort of the term. I don't want to over oversell this case, but I do. I do really think that the this new practice that I'm working on developing has been life changing in a lot of ways. Like your sister will say, I'm the like most forgetful person in the world. Like it's not unusual for her to ask me to go out to the car to get three things. And I come back with one of them and I'm like, she's like, where's the diaper bag? I'm like, what are you talking about? So uh, this, this practice of like productive mindfulness, which is really what bullet journaling is about, is about productive mindfulness has made a significant difference in the way that I process information and process life and remember things. Um, so I, I, I could talk for, I mean, I could do, a, we could do a whole episode on like bullet journaling and stuff. If you're interested in starting this practice, my advice is there are, are, are any number you can just type into YouTube minimalist bullet journal. Cause one of the things that happens when you start a bullet journal is people try to go, they try to go like all in like hundred percent right off the bat. And that is exhausting. Like it really, really is exhausting to try to do everything that the quote, the bullet journal method encourages you to do. And actually like the founder of the bullet journal method will tell you like, that's, that's not what this is supposed to be. Start simple, 
build as you go. But I, I would say go go to Staples or Office Max or Home Depot or uh, not Home Depot, um, whatever your office supply store happens to be, Target, whatever. I'm sure they have a generic version of a moleskin notebook. Almost every office supply place sells that. It'll be half as expensive. It's going to fall apart a lot faster. There's a reason moleskin notebooks or Lystrom notebooks or these Arteza notebooks or Shinola. There's all sorts of different companies that make these. There's a reason they're expensive because they're actually a quality product. It's not going to fall apart. Um, I have moleskin notebooks that I had in like seminary and college that are still in good shape that I could use if I wanted to. But get a cheap notebook, just buy a, a, a pack of Bic pens for a dollar and a half or a hundred of them and just start, like just try something. You might find that it's for you and you start to add to it and you start to buy more expensive quality equipment um, or, and equipment's probably the right word, quality products and quality equipment that you're gonna use for this. And you might find out it's not for you and then you didn't waste a bunch of money. But if you wanna try it, the best way to try it is just to try it. Find a cheap sure. way to start see what it does. Um, you don't have to do everything. You know, you don't have to do the whole, like I, I, when I started my bullet journal this year, and actually I started in January. And then when I got to February, I bought a brand new moleskin notebook and started over because I learned a bunch of stuff through that first month of doing it that I wanted to start fresh. And now actually there's a lot of stuff that I did in February that I probably won't do when I start a new one. Um, things like the index. I don't find the index that, you know, the, the bullet journal method, you're supposed to index everything so you can easily reference it. I don't find that useful. It's more work for me than it's worth. I just, if I need to find something, I just flip through the bullet journal until I find it. There's not that many pages. Usually you have a sense for where it was. Um, but some people find it very helpful. So just try it, do the minimum, write, write the day's date on the top of the paper and then jot down notes through the day and then read the notes at the end of the day. That's bullet journaling. Like it's, it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to bullet journal, just write down notes, just write down thoughts. Um, but I really think that everybody should try, should give it a try because I think for most people, we, we very much live in a, a phase of the world where like thoughtfulness and, slowing down and really thinking through things is not, it's not our normal thing. And we, we've commented before, like when we talk about Logos Bible software, that like Calvin would be ashamed of us for how little we use the resources we have and how amazing it is that a man like Calvin could basically like do all the work that takes us, takes me like six hours to, to even like get the start on a sermon with all these powerful tools. Cause I'm just not diligent. Calvin could do all of that just out of memory with like the physical books he had in his study. Um, part of that is that the previous generations had to move slowly. And so they, time was a premium. They only had so much time to read books. They only had so many books available to them. So they just, they just appropriated things and, and retained things more because they needed to. So slowing down is actually part of the point with a lot of this stuff. Um, you don't want to create so much friction that you're not going to do it, but a little bit of friction that makes you slow down and do it is, is important. Like I, I have to sit down in my bullet journal every morning and update my habit tracker. And that makes me think, is this actually something I care about tracking or am I just tracking it for the sake of tracking it? Is it actually helping me accomplish something? Okay, well, next month I won't track that. Or next month, I really wish I had tracked this because I didn't track it and I realized that I'm not doing very well at the habit, so I want to put it on paper so there's another thing. So I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Like I said, I, I think I could probably do a whole episode on this or start a whole podcast on this. Um, but I just think it's really, really useful to, to find these ways to slow down and really like 
marinate in some of this stuff. Like really, really like sit in the things you're reading and really let them like pour over you a little bit and like flavor your perspective, which is kind of like the point of a lot of this reading. So like today I'm writing, I'm working on an article. Um, this is another thing I learned from building a second brain, this sort of like modular writing thing. I, I write one paragraph a day. It's probably going to take me two weeks to write this article, but I'm working on a blog article about, um, the divine will and whether there's only one will in the Godhead. And because of this process I've been doing, I haven't started summarizing um, Voss's dogmatics, but because I'm thinking in this character, in this sort of like way of like slowing down, I needed a definition of will. And I was able to recall like Voss has a really good definition of will in chapter five of volume one of the dogmatics. So I, I was new enough to know where to find it. And then I could go, go pick it out and I highlighted it. So it's easier for me to find. So I just think it's really useful to slow down and think through this stuff and find a methodology that helps you sort of like do this with some consistency and intentionality. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Hopefully again, people who have never thought about this before, it's helping you consider maybe this is something worth looking into. I'll tell you what, what, Tony, let's do this during the summer when you and I are together, let's do a bonus episode. Well, yeah. Let's talk about all this stuff. We'll just lay it out. And that way, when it comes into your feed, you can either let it pass by you <laughs> or you can jump right into it. Yeah, but yeah, that's a good idea. Let's move on. So I'll make my second affirmation be just like really, really brief. And that is, this is like the episode of gratitude. And I'm coming back with a little bit more of that. And that is, if you're listening to this and you've never contributed anything financially, that's okay. Because somebody else has to make sure that it remains free. You're never going to hear any kind of advertisement on this podcast. Tony and I have been committed to that because that's not our jam at all. And so we have so many brothers and sisters who have decided after they fulfilled their financial obligations to their church that there is something left over and they decide they want to share that with the whole Reformed Brotherhood community. And so I want to welcome Brother Pete, who is giving through, just began giving through Patreon and if you would like to join him and others, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Reform Brotherhood. And we have so many people giving just these lovely small gifts. Every little bit helps us cover all the expenses. And we don't need to say it again. You know that there's all kinds of incidental stuff that is expensive that makes sure this shows up on your podcast feed and that we sound reasonable and that you can hear our voices all that stuff happens because there's a community behind it. I'm so thankful. So yeah. thank you, Brother Pete, for joining in the ranks to give. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's always very humbling. Um, you know, I already feel like we have a responsibility to make a good show and to do a good job just because that's, if you're going to do something, you should do it to the glory of God, which means you should work hard at it and you should do a good job. Right but the fact that people care enough about the show to make sure there's some financial backing to it, to make sure it can keep going. Um, it's very humbling to, to, to know that people trust us enough to make good content and to, to share God's word and to speak the truth in a way that is winsome and useful. Um, it's very humbling and we're very, very grateful for it. Yeah. And I'll tease again. And this is so loved ones. This is like a little bit of inside baseball. I see behind the curtain just for a second here. And that is as Tony intimated before, He's been waiting on me on some big dreams that we have because this three years of testing was consuming a lot of my time. And so part of these financial resources are going to go toward growing what we have as a larger vision yeah. for all the things that we're doing and all the things everybody's a part of. It's not just us anymore. And that is so amazing. So thank you for giving. Uh, thank you for really giving toward the work that God is doing because it is at the end of the day, just a silly little podcast. Yeah. However, the outsized impact 
is because God is good and the Holy Spirit is powerful. And when everybody gets together, anybody gets together and speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that when we're talking about his word, it's never returning void. So that's why I'm excited to get even into our topic today and always our topic, because we know that God is going to do great things as we unpack his word together, as we try to come into greater fidelity with the scriptures. And so we're finding ourselves again, like now we're literally like smack dab in the middle of these five words. And most would point out that at this point, the fifth commandment, depending on your numbering system, whether you're Catholic, Lutheran, or Protestant, but at this point that there is some kind of like obvious inflection point, and we don't yeah. need to overstate this, but moving from like the, the first table to the second, this idea of what is mostly God focused, what is mostly or more horizontally focused. Yeah. And yeah, that's helpful. But I think I just want to read then basically verse 12, which is all we're going to hang out on today. And this is from Exodus 20. Honor, so here I say too, is as you hear this, as I'm reading it and listening myself, try to perceive, come to great terms with all of the verbs you hear in this. So verse 12 of chapter 20 of Exodus, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives you. That's it. I mean, that's, in some ways, it's so specific, so brief, so pointed, so focused that we could probably say, well, until next time, yeah. you know, so like it's that obvious, but it's worth unpacking. I think especially the second part, but let's talk a little bit about this verb honor, honor your father and mother. Where should we start? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, um, we struggle with as a modern church, uh, this might be a little bit controversial, but previous generations of Christians had a better understanding of the cultural context of the Bible, because um, really up until like the post-Enlightenment era um, and sort of the era of rugged individualism, the world was a lot more like biblical times and biblical mindsets than it is now. So right. so we, we don't necessarily have a good sense uh, in our culture of what honoring someone even means. So just to sort of like bring out a little bit of the Hebrew here, uh, the word for honor here is kavod, right? So it's it's the same word that is is used to refer to like the the sort of like dignity of God, and exactly. and I'm sure I'm sure all of our listeners at some point have heard somebody talk about how like kavod has to do with weightiness and heaviness, but it's this idea that you should give gravity, like your parents. In in this, we'll talk about how parents are sort of stand-ins, figurative for other authorities in your life, but the authorities in your life have weight to them, right? We're, we're familiar with that concept. Like you give like a test. We just took this giant test. I don't know whether or not there were parts of the test that were weighted more than others, but anyone who's been through school knows that some tests, there are parts of the test that are more weighted than others. And if you're, if you're studying for that test, you're going to give more attention to the part that is weighted more significant. So we understand this idea of like weightiness or heaviness or gravity or something, something that like points to the fact that something is significant. And that's, that's what in large part this commandment is about. It's not necessarily about obedience, although that is part of honoring your mother and father, especially for younger children, for children who are dependents, who live in the home, who are, you know, my house, my rules. Like, well, that's not necessarily the most helpful parenting strategy to just repeat that. But at the end of the day, my house, my rules is a valid principle for us to follow. And, and, 
the fact is that it's not just about obedience though. It's about, it's about recognizing the, the weight, the significance, the importance, and the, the dignity of parents. And then parents in the Reformed tradition has been understood as sort of a stand-in or a figure to represent any sort of lawful, legitimate authority that God has imposed upon you. Whether that is a, a lawful civil magistrate, whether that is, um, in some senses, like the owner of a property becomes a, an authority over you while you're making use of that property. So the way you might be, uh, you might be inclined to disregard rules in a, a like a private business establishment. Well, there's a weight that should come with the fact that this business is owned by somebody. You're on their property. You're making use of their resources. There's a weightiness to them as the owner and provider of those resources and that service or product. All of that is wrapped up in this word of kavod. It has to do with the fact that something is significant enough for us to pay attention and to give it the dignity that it deserves. And then of course, God as the, as the supreme kavod, he deserves all dignity and glory, right? All authorities that are under God are sort of derivative and, and only receive a glory or a dignity that is appropriate to their, their station or their, the reality of them. But that's what this commandment is about. Obedience is part of it, but it's not just about obedience. Right. I think sometimes we read this commandment and we think that at what it says is obey your parents, that right. your life may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's not what it says. It doesn't say obey your parents. It says honor your parents, which is both more <laughs> and in some ways less, but it's different. So, and, and it changes over time. Like we, we don't, we don't need to get into it, but the way you honor your parents as a seven-year-old is different than the way you honor your parents as a 17-year-old, right which is different than the way you honor your parents as a 27 or a 40-year-old or a 42-year-old, right? All of that is part of this conversation, which, which we're not going to get into all of it, but we have to sort of like reorient our mind as we think about this, that what it is about is not just obedience, but about giving, giving a person the proper significance and role in your life that their position and role in your life yes. merits, right? My parents, um, which both my parents are, have, have died and are, are passed on, but your parents now as my mother and father-in-law, there's a significance and a role in my life that they play and honoring them has to do with properly positioning them and giving them the proper, uh, attention and dignity that they deserve in light of that role that they play in my life. I think you're right on to emphasize that because this commandment really comes in hot, doesn't it? It yeah. just comes in right into your face and it actually pushes against sometimes our own experience, which I think can make it so difficult to disobey. Now, if you're the kind of person that's listening to this and there is no, there's no dislocation between your understanding of God and your natural family because you've had good parents then that's a great blessing. However, yeah. if you're listening to this and you struggle to understand God as father because you've had a very difficult father or unloving father or one who's abusive even, then this is hard. And I think it ought to be because what's strange about this command is while at the same time we have even Jesus himself talking about what is the primary commandments to love neighbor. Here we have God saying essentially that in some respects, all are equal in his eyes. In other respects, even societally, what he's saying, among us, there must necessarily be such inequality in an ordered priority because that is what God desires and demands. This is difficult 
because what we're trying, what we have to do here is respect the sovereignty of God, which requires that we would bow down in our own reasoning. That is to like to actually respect, I'm going to say it this way, the office of father and mother, because God has ordained it. None of us get to pick our parents. Yeah. And so it's odd in some ways that God would say, no matter who they are or no matter what they've done to you, good or bad, I've given them to you. They have given you life. They play a part in procreation, even as he as the uh, is the ultimate creator. And therefore, you must honor them. This is a hard truth, I think, for many people. Yeah. And there are times where we could manufacture some justification to say why I shouldn't honor them or why they've done something or been a certain person or acted in such a way that I could say, listen, I want to dishonor them. But what Paul says, what God proclaims here is, if you dishonor your parents, you dishonor God. Yeah. And that goes back to your understanding of weightiness. It's just that simple. The line is that direct. It is linear. There's no way around this, loved ones. So I think like this really does cut us. And so that's why it comes within this attendant promise that's alongside of it, because this is really special. And what God is saying here is that you must honor your parents. And I like what you said. It's not, it's not, it's not less than obedience, but it's not strictly obedience because we understand that if your parents commanded you to dishonor God, to be disobedient to God, that would be a legitimate place in which you would disagree and you would not be obedient. However, I think to honor is so much more. It's actually also so much more nuanced and complicated because honor is this perfect umbrella. It's genius that God said this about our parents because it allows us, even if our parents have been difficult and disagreeable, if they abandon us, if they moved away from us, if they've done hurtful things to us, it still allows for us to be able to respect them and to cherish them and the essential way in which God has given them to us, even if that's only because they carried us yeah. in the womb and gave us life physically. Yeah. So like there's something there for everyone. And I think it also reveals the heart only, only I'd say the Christian can truly honor their parents because the spirit indwelt person is able to process all of this and to show that they're honoring God and honoring their parents, even in the midst of difficult situations when the world would say, cut them loose disrespect them, show them that you are, are a different person and they did nothing for you. And what God says is this is not true because I'm holy and I'm sovereign. All the other commandments which we talked about, it flows naturally that he starts within this horizontal sense. You must honor your parents. So in many ways, I find this to be, maybe this is going to be a little bit unfair. It's almost like I'd say a litmus test for Christian living. Yeah. If, if there is a Christian who cannot honor their parents, even at this fundamental rudimentary level of what it means to cherish the office that someone has been given, then I think we really struggle to see whether or not the Holy Spirit is present and providing the proper perspective because this is a God-given commandment. And what God commands, we know that he also provides the energy, the wherewithal, the perspective, and the context in which to obey that properly. So though we struggle with it, and I would put you know, loved ones in my own life who do struggle with this, I am always amazed, I would say, when I see people honor their parents. Let me give a quick example, actually, and then I'll, I'll let you talk to me. Sorry, I'm just going on and on here. So I was in a prayer meeting recently, and there's a dear brother, an older brother, somewhat older brother, who grew up in India. And he was testifying that when he became a Christian, his father disowned him. He wouldn't speak to him for something like two or three decades and he was so loving in his description of his father. And he was talking about even still how in the midst of that, it was his joy and responsibility as he understood this commandment to honor him, to cherish him, to show him love. Yeah, yeah. Even as 
what he was saying was, you dishonored me and you disobeyed me. That was the language that he used in converting to Christianity. His father saw that as the, the highest form of disobedience in a culture, in an Eastern culture, where to be obedient is one of the greatest blessings and joy that a child can provide to the parent. And this undid me. I mean, I think that is in some ways the epitome of that's the most difficult situation for a child and a parent. And even now he spoke with such, though his father has died, and they really never came to an agreement or accord on what has meant for him to be Christian. Still, you sensed there was such a great love and deep respect and deep honoring, even though he was being quote unquote disobedient. Yeah. I think that's what we're called to. It's a, it's a high calling, isn't it? And it's a heavy weight and burden to hold, but it is in fact what God has commanded us to do. And again, this is this duty and this delight that somehow coalesce. And I think the fifth commandment is our first foray into horizontal worship, yeah. excuse me, horizontal relationship that worships God. Yeah. I, I think, you know, as I, I, I listen to what you're saying and I think about it, there is a certain level of reality to um so this is going to seem like a weird backdoor way to come at it but if you think about in um the early chapters of exodus where god is calling moses and moses says like ah man i'm just not good at public speaking and and god says fine i'll give you aaron aaron can talk can can talk well uh, aaron will be your mouth and he says you will be as god to aaron and aaron will be a prophet for you and and the idea is that there are sometimes relationships that we experience in the world where one person sort of stands in as God and one person stands in as the creature. Right. So in, in the Moses-Aaron relationship, Moses is hearing from God directly. He's communicating to Aaron the words that God is speaking. And then Aaron is promoting that or communicating that to all of the Israelites or to Pharaoh or whoever he's talking to. Authorities in our life, whether it is our parents first and foremost, or whether it is another lawful, legitimate authority, those authorities stand in, in a certain sense, as God for us. And don't take that the wrong way, right? I'm not saying that we should worship the, the, the government, although in America, like the government is the people. So it's a little bit weird. But like, think back to like the, the eras of gener genuine monarchies, right? The, the king of a nation stood in for the people as God for those people. He was responsible for their well-being. He was responsible for making sure they were protected and defended in times of famine or in times of need. He was responsible for providing for his people. And oftentimes, if they disobeyed him, his judgment upon them was swift and severe and final right? That is a picture of the relationship between God and his people generally as the human race, but between God and his people as his elect, chosen, saved, called people as well. And so parents, parents stand in, in this commandment as representative of all authority. And I'm particularly sensitive of this as a new father. So there was some discussion in the Reformed Brotherhood Telegram chat, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. There are people who disagree strongly with what I had to say last week about going to Target on the Sabbath. 
And to the credit of everyone who asked me the question, I did not feel disrespected. I did not feel attacked. I did not feel overly challenged. Everybody who asked me about that and wanted to understand my view did so in a respectful fashion. But part of the reason that I go out of my way to have special time with August on Sunday is because I want to teach August that Sunday is a day I spend with daddy, right? And that translates directly to some future point where Sunday is a day where we spend it with our heavenly father. So yes, people can, and I'm fine with the fact that they disagree with how I choose to spend that time. That's not why I'm bringing this up, but our parents often are, whether it's good or bad. And you alluded to this before, actually, our parents often are the first place we get a concept of who God is. Because they're the ones that provide from us for us. They're the ones that we learn first to trust or to distrust. They're the ones who care the most about us, and they're the ones who can hurt us the most. So they, they really are the center of our world for most of our childhood. If it wasn't for our parents, like we would be out of luck. We'd be out on the street. We wouldn't have food. We wouldn't have light. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have life. Right. right? So this idea that we have to honor our parents is really about teaching us to honor God. And I actually think that this is why I this I'm I'm developing this in real time. So please, patient listener, be uh be charitable with me. The typical way of thinking of the Ten Commandments is there's like the first four commandments that are about God, and there's the the last six commandments that are about how we deal with our neighbor, right? And that right. maps up to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm I'm not dis I'm not disagreeing or disputing that. But as I've thought more about that just tonight and just reflecting on this as I've I've thought about it over the week as we're talking about this, the fifth commandment seems to be like a converter of sorts. Uh, it's almost like a, it's almost like a transition point or inflection point where it's it's actually both. We learn yes. to honor God through the the creaturely pattern of honoring our parents. And the, and parents again is we honor God by honoring the this is Romans 13, right? The the lawful civil ruler is God's servant and his ordained servant, right? It uses the same language as as the Bible talks about like an ordained or a chosen deacon or minister, right? So so this transition point in the fifth commandment is really key because yes, it's about loving our neighbor. It's about submitting to our neighbor who's an authority over us. And it's about obligations that those who are the, the confessional language in the Westminster is superiors and inferiors. Really, it just means those in authority and those under authority. And that describes everybody. There's not anyone on the on the earth. This is a saying we have at my job. Everybody has a boss. So if, if I were to get a complaint about the CEO of my hospital, I could send that complaint to the board of directors. Like she has a, the CEO has a boss. Everybody has a boss in the world. Everybody is under authority. And most people are also an authority in some ways over someone else. So this commandment is about how do P how does authority work? But all of that is meant to help us understand and to shape us and transform us and guide us into understanding how we understand the supreme authority of the Lord and how it is that we submit to his authority. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that's the thing, right? It's actually, that's a beautiful segue because I think that's what sometimes we struggle with is we're willing to obey. And I'm just speaking for myself. We're willing to obey God until the point that it really cuts across us. And we think that we have righteous judgment that we want to bring on somebody yeah. else or yeah, that yeah, we yeah. have really good reason to push against it. 
And what's really hard about this particular commandment is that saying something like this, this is the Jesse paraphrase. Listen, at the end of the day, your parents have to be honored. They have to be honored. Yes. So like you may have disagreement and that could be potentially okay. However, you must still honor them. In other words, it must be plain to them, to your parents, that you are honoring them even in profound disagreement. If that is not plain, then I think we've disobeyed the commandment itself. And that's what's very difficult because we're going to say like, listen, these are human relationships. And sometimes I want to assert, assert my superiority over somebody else. And God says, you cannot do that here. That there will be ultimately, and in the final analysis, some reason, the ultimate reason that I'm giving you, because even if they just give you body and life, and that's the only thing you can accredit your parents to if they've done everything else horrifically, God would say that is enough. Yeah. And so because of that, they ought to be honored. So we just can't run away from this. What we'll find is that it's it's a thumb that's on us no matter where we try to go. We can try to wiggle out underneath it for different kinds of arguments. But God says, it, you cannot. You cannot. Because if you dishonor your parents, then you are dishonoring me. Yes. And that's where I think like it would be helpful for us to just kind of go into then this idea of like what it means and there's this promise. Because this is kind of famously quoted. And I really love where you're going. You read my mind. Like, can we maybe come up with like some kind of new phraseology where we're like, there's the first table, the second table and a bridge. Yeah. And the bridge is like the fifth commandment. And we travel that bridge to get into the second part of the Decalogue, but you must go across the bridge. Yeah. And so you can't get to the second without crossing the bridge. You can't swim across it. You'll drown. You have to go across the bridge. So this fifth commandment does contain a promise. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And what's interesting to me is, and I'm going to state the obvious here, this promise is not set aside in the New Testament, but it is emphasized as a motivation for its keeping. So you're going to find Paul in Ephesians writing, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right honor your father and mother. He's quoting from it. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's Ephesians 6. So I think we can just say this about this whole promise idea. Where lawful authorities are not submitted to honor, uh, where honor is not being shown, to those to whom it is due, when those in such positions abuse or misuse that which God has given, no blessing can be expected. So there is a part here that's just practical, isn't it? It's just saying like, listen, if you have horrible relations with those whom you ought to have decent relations, that's going to be a problem. And in some ways, I think this is, I would like tack this alongside, or I'd say like the tangent of Paul saying, in so much as it depends on you, live at peace with yes. everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's more than just that there. So in fact, Bible, the Bible in experience shows the disastrous consequences of unruly children, like domineering husbands or wives, rebelling citizens, wicked rulers, selfish shepherds, like all of these things. It's basically God saying, have a piece of the garden here. Like there is a rule in an order to life. He gets to establish that. When we deviate in part from that, we're going to find that just things generally get broken and horrible and messy, but it's not just about the temporal blessing. It's about, it's trying to bring in covenant living right now. And covenants come with promises and stipulations and rules and rubrics, not because there's somebody that wants to lord over and to create a superstructure that's to your detriment, but because a superstructure for the one who knows what is best is the greatest gift of all, because it means that you're living in the confines of the way you're supposed to exist. And so God is saying you're supposed to exist in submission and to honor your parents. And so because of that, like it almost just seems plain that your life is going to go way better. And that also you're going to understand something more about the richness of God's relationship 
his sacrifice for his children, and also what it means to honor and to worship on the Lord's Day and in every other circumstance, if in fact you honor your parents. So in some ways like this, to me, I, I vacillate between this being the most obvious thing that like, of course, why wouldn't there be a promise and a blessing with yeah. this? And then the other times, wow, it is the most profound thing in the universe that God attaches a great blessing. And I wonder if we haven't tested the depth of that blessing by trying to go out of the way to honor our parents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I think is, is um, I don't know what to attribute this to, so I don't want to speculate too much, but it seems like in certain uh, quarters of the church, we focus on kind of what we think of as like the big sins, right? We, we talk about abortion a lot. Uh, we talk about all of the things surrounding the LGBTQ plus whatever um, tr- controversies. Um, we might talk about pride and arrogance. Um, there's a lot of discussion about abuse and inappropriate use of authority that I think are p- perfectly important things for us to talk about. But I want to read a couple passages out of two different sections of the New Testament. So the first one is Romans 1, right? We talk about Romans 1 all the time. There we go. And here's... Um, I'm going to start reading in 128. It says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So I'm not going to, I mean, there's one more verse. So though they do not know God, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them, right? So this is, Romans comes into play. Romans is a really interesting letter because he's writing to a church that he's never met. So there's a lot that can be talked about that you know, when you're, when you're sending a letter to a group of people you've never met and you're trying to give them instruction in some sort, you focus on the most important things. And you also focus on the things that should be relatively uncontroversial, right? You don't go to the fringes when you're trying to introduce yourself to people. You sort of focus on like the core principles of whatever you're trying to communicate. The severity of disobedience to parents is a core principle that Paul is trying to communicate. And he says, this, this is the flip side of the promise of long life, right? Honoring your parents comes and, and, and by extension, properly honoring other lawful authorities in your life comes with a promise that things will go well for you. Now, now it's a sort of a proverbial promise. There are plenty of people who honor their authorities and honor their parents and things just suck, right? That's just reality. There are people who honor their parents and things don't go well. There are people who don't honor their parents and things seem to go great. This is a sort of proverbial statement. It's a promise in the in the grand scheme of things, but it's also it's also not one of those promises that is like, you know, it's like uh, raise up a child in the way he should go, he won't depart from it. That's a general principle. This is a little bit different than that, but... The fact of the matter is the flip side of the promise that if you honor your parents, it comes with the promise of long life in the land. The flip side is that if you don't honor your parents, you deserve to die. Like this is a big deal. And then I want to read, you know, that's kind of, this is kind of in like the middle point, beginning middle point of Paul's um, 
Paul's ministry is when Romans comes in. This is the very end of Paul's ministry. This is from um, this is from Second uh, Timothy, first uh, chapter three, verse one. But understand this: that in the last days there will be there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its appearance, avoid such people. At the very beginning of Paul's career, at the very end of Paul's career, I'm sure all of us have heard heard the point made in a sermon that we should pay special attention to what someone says at the end of our at the end of their life. Paul, when he's communicating to Timothy about what to look for, that shows him that things are that that the world is just ready to be destroyed and redeemed by God. What are the signs of the last days? Disobedience to parents is on that list. This yes. is on the list with heartless and ruthless. So. We should not underestimate the importance of this command in God's law. And I think, unfortunately, and I don't, I don't know all the historical reasons, but unfortunately, there is this tendency to just disregard authority. And, and that comes a lot of times with disregarding parental authority in our own lives. Right. We treat that like it's not a big deal. Oh yeah, that's just that's just a teenager thing. Like, yeah, oh yeah, they're just pushing boundaries. It's part of development. It's really not. It's deadly and it's poisonous and it's toxic. And it's it deserves death. Like this is this is I, I'm I'm like I, I don't know, maybe I'm just like ramping up on this, but <laughs> this is one of those things that I think we have grossly dramatically underestimated how important this commandment is. It is the hinge point of the Ten Commandments. It is, as we've said, it's very much a transition point. And and our Reformed tradition is very clear. The authorities in our life are servants of God. And if we disrespect and disregard the authorities in our life, it is tantamount and equivalent to disregarding and disrespecting God himself. And so that is why this commandment is such that it comes with the promise of long life. And we're not talking necessarily about like temporal long life. It's not like you're going to have more physical years. It is a promise that God will bless you if you honor him is what this fundamentally comes down to. And our parents and other authorities in our life are a picture of that reality. I think that's what we need to land on. Yeah, I totally agree with you that the blessing here is not principally, though I think it could be extended to some degree into this particularism of having all of these things in this life now. Of course, like if you live at peace, if you don't, and I'm not saying live at peace to try to cover up issues, but if even in disagreement, you're showing your parents, they're clear that you're honoring them. Then of course, like in your conversations, in your relationships, in your vacations, in your Thanksgiving dinners, it's going to go well for you, isn't it? Like it's just, it just will be better. You're not constantly going to be at enmity and strife with your parents. You're not going to find them disagreeable, nor are they going to be argumentative towards you. Like you're going to find some little benefit there. But that set aside is the tail, not the dog. The dog is, in this word and metaphor, the spiritual (laughs) blessing that you will receive and I think experience a different part of God himself because you are understanding what it means to honor your parents, which is to honor God. And so because you're honoring God, 
by way of, in this very pragmatic sense, honoring your parents, there is something set aside and reserved for those who are doing that because they will see, understand, be blessed, have spiritual communion and connection with God that is different and distinct from those who do not. And as you said, Paul has made that clear. And the way he makes that clear is by saying, you deserve to die. So that is like the most extreme language one might use. And that's what makes this particular word so distinctive from the rest. And probably a bridge because it's it's like the shibboleth of the 10 words, isn't it? You shall not pass right. if you cannot honor your parents. Don't even worry about the rest of them. And in point of fact, it's kind of this way of saying, if you've understood the first four, then by extension and by normative principle of this kind of layered pyramid, you should want to honor your parents because you know God loves you. He is holy. And he sets up that which he desires. And that's what makes this command in some ways strange on just a purely human level. And that is God's basically saying to you, honor the man and the woman who have charged over you, that literally bore you, that were part of the procreation process, even if they have been horrible and difficult to you. And we might say, God, why? That seems like such a ridiculous command if, in fact, they have been the people that have been the most destructive and disastrous in my life. And he says, it does not matter. Not because those things do not matter to him. He grieves with children who have been abused by their parents. At the same time, he commands us to respect those whom he's put in charge of us, even if that charges his body and life. And that's all we've been given by parents. That is, as it were, enough that we ought to esteem them, to cherish them, to recognize them, to hold them up in high regard, because that's the very thing that God requires of us in all of our living and all of our worship. So there's so much more we could say, right? Because I think there's, there's all kinds of nuance to this, but the beauty of the 10 words is it cuts through nuance. Yeah. It demands at some level obedience because God is good. And again, he's giving these commands to us because he is good, not just because he wants rules or rule followers, but because he desires for us to have abundant life, which he starts to articulate as alongside of the commandments very explicitly in this particular one. So I really am hoping that people will talk about this that they will think as I've been trying to process what it means to honor our parents and to love them. And, you know, I only had the privilege of meeting your, your parents in particular, like a handful of times. But what I can say is that it was clear that they always loved my sister deeply. And that meant a lot to me. Yeah. And so like, even that, I, I think we're called, we, we didn't, we don't have time to get into it, but that extension that you alluded to earlier, that this is both figurative and it is specific. And so this means like to our in-laws, to our authorities, to whatever governmental status and structure is in the country that you live, what we find is the consistent threads that God has ordained. All things are subservient to our salvation, including our parents. And it's a bit like saying God is using all these relationships to impress upon us the desire and the need for holiness. He's sanctifying us in these things. And we find the truest form of sanctification when we honor those relationships. Yeah. So I think uh, I, I want to end with this challenge. This is something that our, pa- our pastor challenged us to do as we were praying through this command recently. And he said, uh, no matter who you are, I want you to think for a second and have some time of concentrated prayer where you just thank God for your parents. Thank God for your parents. You have to process and find perhaps the entry point into which you can express gratitude. But Paul gives us at least that really wide opening which is if of all they gave you was body and life, start there. And if perhaps what they've given you is poor example, and so in your own life as you grow, mature, and you have your own family, you think, here are some things I don't want to do, then you ought to thank God as well for your parents so that he has 
as it were, illustrated to you the proper ways in which to move forward in obedience. That itself is a great gift, even though it comes, it's a gift that comes through pain and through suffering that we find that God is with us even in those things. And that maybe in that strange relief of the bad example, we see God even more glorious and high and lifted up as the perfect father. So I would say, take some time in, in private and in corporate prayer to thank God for your parents. Yeah. Yeah. I just think in general, um, we live in a society that is trying to cast off authority in general. Like we're we're trying to sort of like everybody, I'm my own person. I I determine my own self identity, my own self existence, my own self reliance. I I'm the center of reality and this commandment very much. and, And this is the beauty of it, right? This commandment very much as the inflection point in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are focused on taking our attention off ourself, right? There's only right. one God and it's not me. Right. <laughs> I exactly. can only worship God in the way he's prescribed, not the way I prefer. I can only use God's name in the way that he's determined, not the way I determine. I can only worship God on the set appointed times that he has appointed, not me. Now... Now it's just, now am I not only under the authority of the Lord, but I'm under the authorities that the Lord has appointed over me. And now as I go on to reflect in the next five words, uh, five commandments, what it means to love my neighbor, all of that is now in the shadow of loving God and submitting to him. So I'm going to read this passage. Um, the, the internet is the, like the internet algorithm that reads our transcripts is going to get really confused because we're going to do our tagline twice on accident. But I'm going to read from First <laughs> Peter 2, verse 13 through there 17. Be subject to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Right. So what Peter is saying here is that the the purpose of being subject to every human institution, which are our shared Reformed tradition, whether you're a Reformed Baptist or a Savoy Declaration, Congregationalist, or a Heidelberg person, whoever you are in the Reformed tradition, our shared Reformed tradition is understood authority, the authority of the mother and father to be an extension or to be a stand-in for all human authorities. And all human authorities are really just a shadow of God's authority. We're to be subject to those for the purpose of silencing foolish people and being free. Now, that's like the most counterintuitive thing about this. We gain blessing and freedom by submitting to other people. That, that, that is the most countercultural thing, whether you're a conservative or a liberal politically, to say we gain freedom by submitting to other people is just counter counterintuitive and countercultural. But that's the Christian faith, right? We, what is it, Luther, who said like, I'm mastered by none, but I'm servant to all or yes. something along those lines. Yes. Like, like no one can bind my conscience, yet I'm still going to be in a position of service to everyone that I meet. Right That's on. the Christian life. That That is the Christian life. And this commandment is a microcosm, a mini universe of 
what that means. And the first person or people, the first neighbors we learn to love are, are our parents and we learn to love them through submission to them. So I think, I think your, your encouragement, and if I might maybe say admonishment, uh, maybe this is just me feeling admonishment because I, I know I can do better at this. Your encouragement to spend time praising God and thanking him for the authorities in your life and specifically your parents. How often do we not do that? I mean, like, like when's the last time you, you thanked God for like your for like the authority your boss exercises over you at work. Like that's yeah. not a common thing we do or right. thanks God. And this is probably more common for reformed Christians. Cause it's usually part of like the pastoral prayer on a, on a Sunday, but like thanking God for the, the elected officials in your state. I mean, we, we want to make sure parents play a special role in this commandment. We don't want to just like flatten it out. God shows our parents as the stand in for authority for a reason. So there's a special, um, emphasized, honor that's owed to our parents, but the extension of that is vast. And I don't think we think about that very often. So I think we could, we could probably wrap it up there. I think that's a good place to leave it is just sort of in this place of like reflection of like, do we think about this? Do we do it? But Jesse, I'm going to give you the last word just because I think (laughs) I just want to, I just want to give you the last word. You're the elder brother. I feel like you should have the final. Well, that's kind. I I don't have anything to add. I think what I want to say is I'm looking at the clock as everybody is at this point, or maybe you saw it when you started this whole episode. I think it's somewhat illustrative that in this whole series, we couldn't keep it to under an hour. And that's a part that's, uh, I think, a reflection of the fact that far from these 10 words being outmooted or irrelevant, what we find is that they're more than just our eternal contemporaries, that they are God's blessing to us. And the more that we get into them, the more we get out of them, so to speak. And there's so much more to say. So I really hope that people will continue to process this with us. Join in the Telegram chat, will you? You can just go to t.me backslash Reform Brotherhood. Again, you can kind of just peer in. You can be a wallflower and just see what are these people even talking about? And then once you see that it's a safe and lovely place, you can just click the join at the bottom. But I'd really encourage you to do that because we're all trying to figure it out. And just like all the 10 words with this one in particular, I know that I can do better in so many ways. And I know that it's not up to me alone to do better, that it is God working out my salvation within me. And that part of that is how I honor those around me. And it starts with my parents. So I love my parents dearly and uh, they're probably going to listen to this. So I'm trying to think of like what way I can just plug something and get some extra points, Uh, but they're fantastic people. But I want to, I want to end this way by acknowledging that that's not often the case. And so that's what makes this so hard. But I think that's also why God says there is a special blessing. He recognizes this. So loved ones, let's be after this honoring. It's an honoring that follows us. It tracks us down all of our lives. It's not just for children. It's for grown people too. It's not just for parents, for people whose parents are alive. It's also for those who are deceased. It is for all of us, the way that we speak, the way that we think about them, the way we understand them, the way we pray and thank God for them. All of this impounded in this, there is a blessing for us if we would seek to honor them. So I'm with you. I appreciate, I think that some maybe didn't know that the tagline actually came from the scriptures. So you've just already done everybody a great favor <laughs> in reminding them that that's where it comes from. Yeah. Well, I think the best way to end this is just to say, honor everyone and especially your parents. Love that brother. Oh.